want to welcome everybody back to another great episode of the Daily Dose of Discomfort. I am your co-host, Ryan. It's Joel. And Bob. And today, we have a very special episode coming to you. And it's it's going to kind of run a theme because of uh, one of our members having some LASIK eye surgery. We're going to talk about vision. So why don't you start us out on that, Joel? And tell us how your yeah. vision is right now. Uh, the vision is good. I'm wearing the stunner shades right now, so the computer still still a little light sensitive, but the the vision is good. Um, so I got LASIK done on Friday, and uh, you know it, the first day was kind of rough. You're kind of hazy, you know, it's, you're kind of miserable because your eyes are a little bit swollen, stuff like that. But uh, by Friday evening, Saturday morning, you know, I felt great. Uh, it felt like a like a haze was sort of lifted off of me and I could see a lot better, you know, just everything's clear just on the drive, driving home. You could see the landscape, you could see all the textures. And I felt like, you know, felt like, like the wool sort of proverbially lifted off of my eyes. And, uh, and beyond just the, the aspect of what that did for me, it was the procrastination, right? So I've been saying for a long, long time, like I should get LASIK. I should get LASIK. I don't like wearing glasses. Uh, I've always heard that LASIK was, you know, everybody that does it loves it. And so it was the idea of having the foresight and the vision to just go after what I knew I wanted and what I knew would be good for me. I put it off for years just simply because of, uh, you know, the convenience, the, the scheduling, the that little bit of extra effort. And if I would have just done it four or five years ago, whenever I first thought about it, I could have enjoyed it this, this whole time. But instead I I waited and waited and waited. I'm glad I did it now, but it really got me thinking about, you know, not, not putting things off that you know will be good for you. Sure. It had to be a little scary too. It was, I mean, so they, uh, I, I was good, right? I was cool as a cucumber right up until, the laser started coming down close to my eye and it had like this little like suction thing. So it really like, like tightened up your eye up against it. And then, uh, then the stress ball that they gave me, I was like, okay, I, I need to squeeze this thing. Cause this is, uh, this is freaking me out a little bit. Um, so it was a little bit scary. Um, but, but all in all, you know, it, the process only took maybe 10, 15 minutes total once you were actually in, in the room. So it really wasn't very long and it, it was unpleasant, but it wasn't, it wasn't as intimidating as I thought it might have been. So it kind of gave you gave you some ideas on this. So for me, when you were talking about vision, like I'm I'm literally seeing that futuristic aspect of it. Just having that that idea of what your life is going to look like in a in a few years, which I guess is kind of what you were talking about, you know, with your your eye surgery, and now you can see clearly. Yeah, so that that's more like like the in-depth way of looking at it. Like like the the surgery itself wasn't something that took very long, but it's going to have, you know, an effect that's going to last for years because of this. And it's going to drastically change the way I see things, the way I the way I view things, you know. And it's something that while it only really did take a total of a day when you include like the surgery, the effort, it's about a day, day and a half. And it's something that I put off for years because of, because of that reason. How, how silly is that to put something off that's going to improve your life for years just because of a day, day and a half of scheduling. You know, I mean, it, 
really, really made me stop and think about, is there anything else in my life that I've been putting off? Is there anything else in my life that, you know, wouldn't really take that long that would have a big improvement? I wonder, and maybe Bobby can provide some insight into this. If there's something maybe neurologically that makes us more, you know, more likely or more predisposed to, um, just wait on something or indulge our, our laziness or, um, just our aversion to, to doing something that could be positive in our lives. Well, to, to tie it back to the vision concept, um, you pretty much have two types of vision. And this comes from Andrew Huberman, who's a, what would you call him? A professor, I guess, at uh, Stanford University. And he deals with neuroscience and ophthalmology. So I would definitely look him up. He's He's got some cool ideas that he talks about um, based off of his research. But if you think about vision and how your vision changes, like I said, you have those two types of vision. You have the focus vision where it's when you're really focused on a task, right? And you're really paying attention to something. Maybe you're reading an article, maybe you're, you know, doing your job at work and you're like really focused on that task because you want to get it done. And then you have the secondary vision. And this would be, you know, if you're working on your computer screen all day, um, you're focused on this tiny little box, right? You're being somewhat claustrophobic because you're in this tiny little room. And then you go for a walk, put your phone away. You just go for a walk. You're talking to somebody and you notice your eyes are zooming back and forth and you're scanning your periphery and you can do it right now, right? It, whatever you're looking at, whether you're looking at your phone, um, whether you're you know, looking at a computer screen, watching TV, but then just let your eyes kind of relax and your field of, of gaze opens up, right? And you get that kind of periphery. Um, and it's important to kind of let yourself go in and out of both of those types of vision. Um, if you're always in that focus, then your anxiety levels will probably go up because you're, it's like being stuck in a claustrophobic room, right? In a tiny little box. So every once in a while throughout the day, kind of open up and see your periphery. That allows you to think, see things that are coming at you, right? It's the idea of like you're standing outside going for a walk or something and a bug goes and hits your eye, but you blinked before you even knew the, the bug was coming, right? It's your b- body's ability to see things quickly and like assess threats and close off. But when you're focused, people can sneak up on you, right? And you don't even know it because you're so focused and kind of tunnel visioned. Um, so you have these two different types of vision that you're scrolling back and forth and it, it's healthy to to go back and forth, right? It's help, healthy to have a good amount of each of those throughout your day. Um, so to link it back to Joel's idea that, you know, he had that hesitance and um, he, maybe that, um, I don't know, what would you call it, Joel? Joel, it's not fear. I know you're not a fearful person. No, that, and that's the thing. It's It wasn't ever about like fear for me. Like I'm not, you know, I said when they took my, uh, my heart rate and my blood pressure before and immediately after the nurse that took my, 
heart rate after like kind of her eyes kind of got big whenever she took it. She's like, she's like, Oh, your heart rate's 61. That's the exact same as before you went in. She's like, do you like, are you not nervous? Like, did this not make you fearful at all? I'm like, no, oh, not, not really, you know, or, or if it did, I recovered quickly, I guess. So I, I don't know. It wasn't a matter of fear. It was almost just like, because it was, you know, a, a task that I knew would take at least a day or two. And it would require a little bit of extra effort, like with the eye drops and stuff like that. It's like I was just unwilling to put that that bit of extra effort to inconvenience myself and, and commit to it. So that sounds like mental preparation, right? You came in prepared for it. Right. Did you visualize it at all? Did you like, I'm probably going to go in and this is going to happen. Did you like prepare yourself in that way? Yeah. And I think I do that subconsciously with a lot of things in my life. If I have something coming up, I, I I try to think of it and I, I I try to think of, you know, different potential outcomes and how I'll behave during those outcomes. And and I, you know, I, and I told myself like before I, before I laid down, I was like, okay, so if you, if you behave poorly, right. If you get scared, if you, if you let yourself get worked up, the only possibility of that is negative. So the, the only outcome rather would be negative from that. If I move my eye wrong, when the laser's down, if I, if I get upset, you know, the calmer I am, the, the better the procedure is going to go, the, the more likely the best possible procedure will happen. So I guess that was sort of what I visualized and what I wanted to happen going into it. So, so that's, I should come at this from a, a different angle then. Um, we have the motor cortex in our brain, right? Which allows us to move. Our brain is pretty much there. Our, our nervous system is pretty much there to like, essentially to move, right? To get our body where it needs to go. But then eventually it became a way to kind of process what's going on. So the motor cortex is kind of in the, um, the back part of the front of the brain, and what makes us special, and I know we've talked about this before, is um, mammals, you notice, have that prefrontal cortex, that area that um, helped us figure out what's right and wrong at that time. But it's also kind of, it's basically an extension of that motor cortex. So it, it grew from that motor cortex. Um, and that's also the area that allows us to do that kind of um, prediction of the future, right? To visualize ourselves in a uh, potential situation. And we can pretty much practice before we have to try and fail, right? We can do it in our head and figure out all of the potential things that could happen and what we want to do and, and kind of be prepared for the future. That's what makes so mammals so special. So do you think that we do that in other areas of our life, uh, like say like just professionally, right? So would it be good or could it be beneficial to think about either a task or, or performing something and really visualizing what the outcomes or potential outcomes would be of that task? Yeah, I think, I think naturally we do it, but I don't think everybody necessarily does it to the same degree that somebody who is in check of their emotion and in check of their life, 
right? They're mindful. Right. I think the more you get practiced at that and the more you go through visualization, the more beneficial of a tool it gets, the more efficient you get at it. But it's kind of the idea of, you know, you've heard of people who are maybe in prison. Uh, this is at least how it, it was presented to me, I think in high school. I don't know. Um, but there was a guy who was in prison and he liked to golf. And in his head, he golfed that course for a long period of time. And then when he got out of prison or got off an island, whatever, um, he golfed like a, the best course of his life, right? He had the best um, stroke. I, I don't okay. know. I don't so know because he went over it over and over again in, in, his, in his mind. So he visualized it to the point where it went from a mental to a physical thing. And he was able to execute on that from maybe his past his past physical experiences and then, you know, those years and years of, of mental preparation for it. Right. He was able to go through the muscle memory and, and create those pathways that you would normally create by doing the repetitions, except he did it the best that he could and he did it in his brain. Right. So he visualized himself doing it, which continued to, to either reinforce or maybe generate that perfect technique. Right. And you'd have to kind of painstakingly do it where you're okay. I'm going to take a golf swing. Right. And when I'm doing my golf swing, I want to make sure that my, I don't know anything about golf. Right. But I want to make sure that, you know, my hands are where they're supposed to be. I'm twisting my hips. Right. And you're going through the motion. You're doing the full swing through and you're thinking about those things as you're doing it. Right. You're intentionally thinking about it and visualizing it. So I think, it's pretty much what you did, whether you did it on purpose or whether you did it unintentionally or, well, maybe intentionally, but unconsciously, you did it. So somebody like me, I, I kind of visualize worst case scenarios in a lot of things, you know, and I don't know why my mind goes to those places, but it can take almost any instance and then start to visualize how that could go bad. So I'll just kind of give you an example. Um, I've got a friend, like a, a really good friend of mine that, um, you know, hit his head pretty good on the concrete and now has seizures periodically. And um, I had visualized what that would be like, like if we were driving in a car and he had a seizure while we were driving. And sure enough, you know, we, we were, we had drove up to Michigan for a weekend, had a great time, and we were on the way back. And we were um, kind of in this S-curve merging onto um, the interstate. And his phone started to ring. And, I, like, he was in the driver's seat, but it was like he was leaning into the back seat. And I thought he was reaching for his phone, but he wasn't picking it up. And we were picking up a lot of speed. And I'm, I'm yelling at him, you know, hey, pick up your phone. I look back at his face, and I can see that his eyes have rolled back into his head. And at that moment, I realized this worst case scenario has just come true. And in that instance, because I had visualized that a few times before, I had an idea of how I would react to that. And my my body and my mind just kind of went into, all right, survival mode, let's do this. And, and I got us, you know, pulled over. I mean, it was very scary. We were probably up to 80 miles an hour and we were, this S curve was 30, 40 feet up over you know, houses. So if we went over the edge of this thing, we were probably plowing into somebody's roof. I mean, we were probably dead. Um, 
And then he also decided to decline uh, the insurance. Fun fact, don't do that. Or fun tip, I should say, don't decline that. You should definitely opt for that $3 insurance. Because I probably could have slowed us down into the median, uh, but couldn't do that either because he declined it. So mine had already went through that as well. And got us pulled over, you know, and we were all good. But why, why is it that, you know, sometimes people like me just always go to that negative and are prepared for it? Well, it sounds like it's a good thing you went to the negative, right? Because it, it mentally prepared you. And, and that's, you know, historically speaking, it was good to think about the negatives because you were basically thinking through and strategizing before you got there. So in the moment, you didn't have to think about it. You had already predicted this and you were able to do the right thing, be vigilant, right? Be prepared. Um, so that's basically our brain getting us ready for the worst case scenario. Now, the problem is, is when you get stuck in that loop, right? When you're stuck in the loop, you're focused, right? And that's good because you're focused maybe not on an object, but in your mind, you're focused on a thing. But it's time to snap out of that, right? If you're stuck in a loop. And I think the best thing you can do is, and obviously it's easier said than done, but you want to get out of that focus vision and step back and look at the big picture, right? Let your vision open up to see the world and get out of that focus um, kind of standpoint. So kind of doing it, you know, twofold, maybe looking at it like, um, like a bifocal thing, right? One of them gives you a much bigger picture. The other one is a much smaller, but more detailed picture. Taking the time to maybe look at both of them. Right. Yep. If you're, if you're, yeah, if you're trying to read something far away, but you're focused on something close, you're not going to be able to see it. So sometimes you need to step back and, and like let your focus kind of change a little bit and that's kind of a bad example because then you're just focusing on the you know something further away um but yeah i i guess the idea is if there's no imminent threat then you don't need to be focused on it as much um especially if you get stuck in a loop but it is important i think to allow yourself to go through those worst case scenarios so you're prepared you just don't want to get stuck probably allow, also allow yourself to to dream a little bit too right <clears throat> allow yourself to see the positive potential allow yourself to you know sort of imagine the best case scenario not just the worst case scenario i i think that we've all probably heard at one time or another like the self-help gurus or the you know like the dreamers to visualize how you want your life to be and it will come true and there's you know i, I think there is truth to that just simply because if you, if you don't dream it, if you don't visualize it, it probably won't come to fruition. It's not just so simple as, as dreaming it. And then it just, you know, you wake up one day and it happens. I mean, you do have to put in the work and put in the effort. Um, but it goes, it goes both ways. If you're constantly negative and constantly just imagining the worst case scenario, you're never going to take risks that would potentially benefit you. Uh, Whereas in the other other extreme, if you only ever daydream and only ever imagine, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a millionaire, um, but you don't take the actions to actually go through and do it. You don't consider the the negative consequences as well. You know, I, I think they, they both have their pros and cons. Yeah, if you're only thinking about the positive, and then you actually act on it, 
and you come in contact with your first negative that you haven't prepared for, right? Are you going to be able to work past that then? Yeah. Or is it going to just destroy you? You know, you, you weren't prepared for it at all and it completely turns your world upside down and, and then you, you lose, lose complete focus. I have some, some friends that, um, in their minds just never accept defeat. You know, they've already visualized the success, but at the same time, when they're never accepting the defeat, they do, they are at least accepting, you know, that, that these, what this could look like potentially. So it's, it's in their mind, this is not going to happen, but these are the things that, that, that could potentially. And I think that could allow you to see some warning signs. You know, if you were going down potentially the wrong path in your life, if you have an idea of what that worst case scenario would look like, even if you are that person that just says, I'm going to make it no matter what, you you can then use that to kind of course correct, you know, re, re, re-establish, reestablish your footing and, and change that direction back to towards that positivity. So I was watching this YouTube video on Elon Musk, right? He's been in the news that popped up on my feed. So I was like, you know what? Whatever. It was only like five minutes. But it talked about how a lot of us view the world in analogy. So the way you view the world is based off of what other people have done or what you've seen. And so you develop your view of the world based on essentially what's already created for you. But people who tend to be extremely successful. So think of like an Elon Musk who's creating things all the time. He tries to get out of that and he doesn't view the world as an analogy. He views it almost in like a reductionist theory where he, okay, so why can't he make batteries that are um, as cheap and affordable as they should be? And everybody's like, well, it's just the way it is, right? Batteries have always been that way. They're always been, they're always going to be expensive. Well, he, he thought back to the reductionist idea of, okay, what goes into a battery? What can we make a battery out of? So what are we going to need? Okay, you need zinc, copper, whatever goes into a battery. And then he looked up the cost of each of those items and then created a battery at the at a lower cost based on either manipulating how much of things go into it or you know looking at okay, this material is is what's kind of making us pay more for that product. So is there a way to get around that, right? Can we either use a different material? Um, can we reduce the amount of it or maybe make it more efficient in that area? And then that can drive the cost down or at least the production cost. So I guess our view of the world could change based on how we process things, right? Um, in my class, I wanted to do a charting system and I looked around and I couldn't find an affordable charting system um, for my students to use. And so I just, instead of, calling it quits, I figured, well, I'll just learn Excel and I'll make my own chart. Right. And now I have a fully functional charting system for my kids to play around with, to get a more realistic version of what's going to be out there when they, you know, get into the hospital system. So they aren't kind of sidetracked that, oh, we don't do paper charting anymore. That's 2021, right? Or probably 2025 by the time they're there. Um, they'll at least be used to what a charting system will look like. 
and used to how, you know, how do I navigate this charting system? Um, will it be the same charting system? No, but they'll develop the tools and the kind of ability to navigate things that they might not um, have gotten otherwise. So, so the idea to break things down. It's having, it's having the vision to go out and, you know, you, you have an idea, you, you know what you want. And rather than looking to others for it or, or looking what's already been done, you're having the vision to go out and create the, the best case scenario. Right. Rather, you know, you're, you're not waiting for someone else. You're not, you're not expecting it from something that's not there. You're, you're like, all right, well, here's what I want. I know that this would be the, you know, the, the best option for this. So you've decided to go out and make it yourself. And that's going to allow progression. Right. And I know you said options and I automatically thought of what's going on in the world today. How do you have vision right now when you're talking about stocks? Because I know that's your, your go-to. So, I, I mean, nobody has an exact answer right now because this is, un, this is unprecedented, right? So you've taken you know, a, a group of people on the internet, essentially uh, looked, at, looked at something and they say, you know, they see the hedge funds like shorting this stock. They're saying that we expect this company to fail. And you have a group of whatever it was, a million, two million people. So, you know what? We don't think that this company is going to fail. We think that this company is going to be doing just fine. So we're all going to buy it and not only buy it, but have the, the willpower to then hold it, hold your profits, which then in turn, caused those who wanted the company to fail to have to get out of their positions or, or continue to, to sort of bleed money essentially. So the, the vision and the coordinated effort of, of all of these people um, to do something almost out of spite is just phenomenal to me. I mean, it, it's such a, it's such a crazy, a crazy thing and a crazy idea that, you know, a, a group of people were essentially able to overcome, you know, a, a billion dollar corporation uh, just off of a little bit of coordination on the internet, on, on, a, on a chat forum, basically. Well, I think that they, and kind of to Bobby's point as well, I think they kind of adopted a what if, what if we could mentality. What if we could take on hedge funds? What if we could push the stock up? Or relating it back to fitness, you know, sign up for, you know, some long race you've never done before. What if you could do it? Not, not what if, what if I failed, but what if, what if I succeeded? Even when you don't think you're going to, if, if you, if you start bringing that mentality into your life, I mean, possibilities are limitless, right? And it's, it's the risk too, right? So, so with Bobby, uh, making that, making that spreadsheet, right? So his risk was his time. So he put forth, a lot of time and a lot of effort into making this. And, you know, he, he gave up a lot of himself and, and gave that risk. So, so if this wouldn't have worked out, if this would have failed, he would have lost however many hours, however many days worth of, of his, his life, his time in making this. Um, the, these guys on, uh, on Reddit, uh, people buying the GME stock, AMC, you know, they're, they're giving up however much of their, of their finances, you know, I mean, they're, they're giving up, maybe buying things they would have normally bought, whatever the case is, to to risk driving this stock up. 
and to your point, Ryan, with like a physical exercise, you know, you're giving up, you're giving up risk of uh, your pride, your comfort zone. There's a lot of things you're giving up when you sign up Injury. for for a race or something you're not comfortable with, you know, and, and you got to push yourself to that point where you're okay with failing. You're okay with the idea that, um, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable. Risk to reward. Or make sure that, you know, that reward does exceed what that risk is. But everything in life has got a risk with it. You know, and you can always be afraid of, of that failure or afraid of that process. You know, some people are so afraid that, that they'll fail they don't even get to starting. You know, but if you're visualizing both ends of this, then you should to some degree or another know what to look for. Okay, I'm on the right path because this is what success looks like. Or I'm on the wrong path because this is what failure in my mind looked like. Because ultimately, success and failure is kind of in the eye of the beholder. You know, success to you might be making a thousand bucks off of that stock, but success to me might be making ten thousand dollars off of that stock. You know, and failure to you might be losing a hundred, but failure to me might be losing ten grand. It everybody's different. You got to you got to take the time to visualize what that is to you, and that way you know you know where to set your standards. Yeah, I think once you have your vision, so you know what you want, you have to know you have to visualize what that's going to look like, so you know what you're going to be investing, right? Because if you want to make a hundred or a, a thousand or whatever, you're not going to have to invest as much as you might, you know, you Ryan trying to make ten thousand. You're going to have to invest more shares. Um, to be able to get that out at the risk of losing more, but at least you've visualized and you've, you've kind of thought out and you have a game plan to achieve it, but then the acting on it is the other thing, right? So we have to know exactly what we want to do. Um, and it's kind of the idea of what we're doing with the 75 hard, right? To, to bring it back to that. Um, and we talked about this a little bit, but we have, Ryan and I have the app where every day we go through and we have the check boxes. But one of the things we we've talked about celebrating each step, right. And, and enjoying the process and training your brain, being mindful of, I'm not looking at only celebrating my successes, but also celebrating kind of my failures so that I know, um, or at least celebrating the process of getting to that success because that's truly where the dopamine is going to be released um, with the big picture in, in mind. But one of the, the interesting things and, and um, Andrew Huberman talked about this was you do want to be careful that you're not rewarding yourself too much, right? You should be rewarding yourself intrinsically that, Hey, I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right thing. But if you reward yourself with like little treats or whatever, then when you stop getting those treats, you're, you're not going to love the process. So the study is they, they took these kindergartners and they noticed the kids that really enjoyed um, drawing and making art. Well, then they started celebrating their art and saying, hey, you get a gold star. You drew this beautiful picture. Um, and this went on for a period of time. And then eventually they stopped giving them the gold stars and the kids stopped drawing. So something that they innately really enjoyed 
since they were rewarded for it extrinsically, they focused on that extrinsic reward and not on the intrinsic reward of drawing. And they, they basically lost a hobby or they lost something that they otherwise enjoyed to do. So I think that's kind of why sometimes work can become a job instead of a passion, right? If you've ever really enjoyed something, like maybe you like, co- maybe you like coding, right? You like making video games or something like that, but then you get it as a job and you start to hate it. It's because you're focused on the extrinsic factor of getting paid and not on the intrinsic process of doing it. So you've got to kind of train your brain to focus on, I'm doing this because I like it, right? Even though, I mean, that sounds silly. You can't just do that, but, but you can do that, right? If you focus through the process, right, you have the vision for the future, but then you enjoy the experience of doing it in the first place. That's, I think, where you're really going to become a successful person. When you have passion for the process, not for the extrinsic reward that you get at the end. That's a great point. And something that I've struggled with for a long time that I'm, I'm getting better at each and every day is to, to find something in that process that I, I like. And it does smooth it out a lot. It really does. I think that would be a great thing to take away for anybody. You know, find something in your process to, to enjoy. So do you think that that's something that we can sort of, I don't want to say force ourselves, but can can you is, can you take a job maybe that you don't have a passion for and sort of learn the intrinsic value of that and, and learn a behavior of getting the most out of that as possible? Or, or if you simply just don't have a passion for it, and you, is it going to be difficult to learn that? When I created the spreadsheet, I did it over Christmas break because I had time, right? So I figured I have all this time. I might as well invest into the future, right? And so this is my way of doing that. And I didn't know anything about Excel. I'm not a super, I don't know. I've learned maybe C++ in high school. So I, I knew if I tried to do something, like my buddies told me, just do it in Python, right? Then you'll actually have a a software that you can use and potentially sell. And I was like, that's a good idea, but I don't know Python. Right. And if I, I knew if I started trying to learn Python, it would be too much. Right. Cause then I have a vision of it. I can't visualize myself doing it in Python. So let me just make this blueprint that I can put into, to something that I've played around with a little bit. Excel. I've done basic calculations in Excel. So I was like, at least I know how to use Excel. And then because I was so excited about it, I was enjoying the process, right? I had the passion to do it because I was like, this is so cool. Like, especially once I got started and I started to see it kind of develop, I was like, this is so close to what I used in the hospital. And my kids are going to be actually, you know, actually able to see it. So I was able to enjoy the process by relating it to my ultimate goal. So my vision was changing, right? I was focused in on what I was doing and then stepping back every once in a while, panning out my vision to make sure that I was still kind of safe and on track. There were no, you know, nothing, no curveballs were coming at me at me. I wasn't wasting my time. And then I would go back into the focus and like, wow, this is awesome. So I actually, 
I worked for almost two weeks straight for eight to 12 hours a day until I got it pretty, pretty close to being done. And I just watched YouTube videos and, but I was so passionate about it. I was so excited about it. Um, enjoying the process, right? I wanted to get up and focus on it. It's just, it, it was exciting to me and I enjoyed the process. I learned Excel. Um, and now that I have something to focus off, if I wanted to take it to the next level, which ultimately I might do maybe the next break I have. So Easter break or something, I might try and pick up Python a little bit and see if I can, you know, continue to improve on my process. And then ultimately who knows, potentially I could market it right and get it out. But yeah, it's, it's that idea of finding something you're passionate about and then viewing the big picture, taking the big picture, breaking it down into pieces and, and kind of walking through the steps in your mind and then following through with it without getting too focused that you don't see the pitfalls, right? So scanning back and forth and, and trying to kind of get into, a, I guess you'd call it a flow, right? Where you're in focus and then stepping back and reflecting in focus and it just becomes a rhythm. So to kind of sum it all up and this whole thing that we're talking about visions twofold, right? There's the big picture and the smaller picture and, and you really need to be looking at both of them constantly moving from one to the other so that you're like you're saying, avoiding the pitfalls, um, recognizing when when you know we've diverted somewhere so that we can bring ourselves right back to the path that we've envisioned for ourselves but it also allows you to see this the, the success right mm-hmm. you're getting closer to the success if this looks like what i envisioned right see and, the markers for both it's good to it's good to be a dreamer right it's good good to have the big goals and the big dreams but also be realistic you know sort of visualize you do look like joe biden with those shades on <laughs> i do these aviators are, you know, they're, they're doing good things for me right now. I like it. Uh, but, but also, you know, be able to visualize the negative potential outcomes and, and prepare for those. So it's a preparedness for the, for the vision on both sides of it, have the dreams, have, have the excitement, but also be prepared for the, the possible, possible negatives. I think that's a great place to end it right there. There's some some actionable advice in it. Uh, there's a lot of, of information to really take in. Uh, Bobby, you got anything else you want to add to that? Nothing for my end. Joel? No, I say I'm just I'm happy to be uh, seeing life through a little bit of a clearer lens right now. So I'm just looking forward to seeing what this brings. Let's all give ourselves some um, metaphysical LASIK today. Let's, let's let's start to get some clear vision. You know, get rid of that haze. That's right. That's right. Well, thank everybody again for joining us on another great episode, and uh, we'll see you guys again next Sunday. Have a great week. See everybody.